You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. But here's what the commandment says. The ninth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 16. God says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now with that in mind, I want you to do one thing for me. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, and the reason I want you to flip here is I want you to think about this. The ninth commandment is given in the context of legal proceedings. And when God gives this command, uh, basically, you know, back in this day, there wasn't such a thing as CSI, right? There wasn't technology. And so if you wanted to prove that someone was guilty or innocent, you had to have an eyewitness testimony. And so this was, you know, given within that context. Now, we still do this somewhat in our legal system today. If you've ever been in a wreck before, you know that the police officer will say, hey, are there any other eyewitnesses? What's your story? And they try to see if the stories match up. If you've ever been in court or watched court, you know that whenever someone takes uh, the, the witness stand, they give a testimony, what are they asked? Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, Right. That's what's behind this command, do not bear false witness. Uh, living a life, not just within court, but outside of it, that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Okay, so with that in mind, look in Ephesians 4. Again, we can put it on the screen for you. I'm going to read uh, verses 14 and 15, also verses 22 through 25 and verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to Jesus. I'm sorry, yeah, put off your old self. (laughs) That would be bad. Um, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created it in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Then look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such it is good for building up, as as is fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. I want to dive into this passage in just a moment. Before we do, let's pray together one more time. I ask that you pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I ask that right now you do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will take these words, and um, I pray that you'll make them alive in our heart. I'm just reminded this week, as we walk through these commandments, God, they feel so heavy at times, they're just relentless, um, but yet they're also so sweet, uh, because not only do they remind us of how sinful we are and how far short we fall of your glory, um, it drives us to Jesus and the hope that we have in him who has fulfilled this law and done it all perfectly. And I pray that today that, that we will learn the goodness behind this law of, of not bearing false witness, but more importantly that we leave, we'll leave here with our hearts stirred towards Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. These are the infamous words spoken by the former governor of Arkansas and at the time President Bill Clinton in 1998 after he was asked uh, or was accused rather uh, by Monica Lewiski of uh, having an affair with her. And if you watched this broadcast on national television when Bill Clinton made this statement or you've gone back and watched the video, 
you will see that he made this statement with such confidence and such resolve that you would have been convinced that he had to be telling the truth. However, if you know the rest of the story, you know that six months later, what happened? Bill Clinton came back on national television and he said, well, actually I lied, right? Um, I did, in his own words, have an inappropriate relationship with Miss Glowinski. And the reason I share that this morning is not to throw Bill Clinton under the bus, but to say this, whether you love him or you hate him, we're all like him. And the fact that, if we can be honest today, and I know it's hard because we're in a church setting, right? And we've got to put on our happy faces and everything. But if we can be honest, we're not always honest, right? If we can be truthful, we are not always truthful. And, and maybe for some of you, you're like, well, no, it's different for me. No, 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 it's not. The reality is, we all struggle with truth so much, I think we don't even realize how much we really struggle with it. For example, and this one seems to happen the most in marriage, if you have ever said to your spouse, you always do that, right? Or you never do this, okay? Even if they do it nine times out of ten, or they never do it nine times out of ten, guess what? You're still exaggerating when you say you always or you never. And if you're exaggerating, guess what? You're lying. If you have ever said to someone, no, you actually look incredible in that dress. <laughs> and you don't believe it, that's a lie. Now, it's a very polite lie, right? But it's still a lie. Um, if you've ever said something like this, man, I'd love to hang out, bro, but I've already got plans. And you don't have plans? That's a lie. Man, I'm sorry I missed your call. My phone was on silent. When it wasn't, that's a lie. I'm sorry my text messages have been all messed up. That's why I never texted you back. Again, that's a lie. I mean, I could go on and on and on. They're polite lies, but they're still lies. And this is something we teach to our kids, don't we? Like, how many of you, your kids have been in a fight with somebody else, and you go up to them and you're like, say you're sorry. And they're like, no. And you're like, yes, say it. It's like, I don't care if you mean it. Say it, right? Like, or, or maybe you go over to someone's house and you know they're going to be cooking and you know whatever they're cooking your kids aren't going to like and you look at them and you're like, now if they say anything to you about do you like the meal, you tell them yes, whether you do or not, right? And that's, that's lying, right? And this is something, again, that comes natural for all of us. Ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3, believed a lie from Satan, right, that creation is better than the Creator, ever since they believed that now... Right? Like we're just embedded with this natural tendency to lie. We don't have to teach our children how to do this, right? I mean, that's why babies, like, they'll you know, pretend like the world's falling apart, they'll be crying, and then all of a sudden, like, you turn a door and they'll stop to see who's coming in, and then, like, go back to crying again, right? Just kind of like to, to, to deceive you. Or, like, even this past week, my son, who is um, not even three years old yet, he's in the bathtub, and I hear him pull the drain, and that's bizarre to me because usually I have to fight him to get him out of the bathtub. He loves bath time. But I hear the water draining, so I run in. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I grab a towel to wrap him up. He's trying to get out of the tub, and I realize the reason he's trying to get out is because there are two floating foreign objects with him <laughs> in the bathtub. And uh, I look, and I'm like, son, did you just poop in the bathtub? And he goes, nope. And he grabs a toy and tries to cover it up <laughs> as if, like, I, I, like, I can't see it. Fortunately... Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, who he never calls me. He's a guy that's over our Soma family. He calls me out of the blue, and I'm like, babe, I'm sorry, it's Jeff. Like, I got to take this call. And so I, I go and do ministry and godly things as she cleans up the poop. And so, um, but what's that all about, right? Like, my son is trying to withhold the truth, right? He, he's, he's lying about something that happened, and I didn't have to teach him to do that. 
Um, and this isn't something that we get better at, actually, or actually, as we grow, we do get better at lying. Like, we don't lie less. We usually lie more, for example. I read a statistic this past week that said high school students lie to their parents in one in every five encounters, okay? Now, I know our high school students are different, right? But most students that aren't in fellowship, high school students, they lie to their parents one in every five encounters. Um... Whenever we graduate, right, and, and we go on into the professional world, we become professional liars. I read another statistic this past week that said that on average we are lied to 10, between 10 and 200 times a day. Now, many of those are white lies, probably, but still lies nonetheless. One more statistic, whenever strangers meet, on average they lie three times within the first 10 minutes of their interaction, okay? Uh, needless to say, we live in a, what I would call a deception epidemic, Right in a post-truth society where lying is just kind of a way of life. And though many of these lies do not seem like a big deal to us, what we need to see today is they are a very big deal to God. I, I was reminded this week in Matthew five nineteen, the Bible says that it is from out of the heart flows a false witness. If you've been in fellowship very long, we talk about how the heart is the control panel of all of life. What you see on the outside, good and bad, first flows or comes from the heart. In Romans 1, Paul tells us that, that when we sin, it's because we exchange a truth about God in our hearts for a lie. And we worship creation over the Creator. And so when we lie, it is a symptom that we're believing a lie about God in our hearts. That's why in Colossians 3.9, Paul tells us, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Uh, if you ever wondered where the uh, saying... Um, a liar, liar, pants on fire comes from, possibly from Revelation 21, 8, that says basically liars will spend an eternity in the lake of fire, okay? It's this idea that if you are practicing, bearing false witness, if you're just someone who naturally, you just, you just don't tell the truth, you're not convicted about that, you don't care about that, right? It is a pretty bad sign that you are believing a lie about God and you're worshiping creation over the Creator, Lying is a big deal to God because lying is the opposite of God's character. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says God never lies. Isn't that great news today? God never lies. Hebrews 6, 18, it says it's impossible for God to lie. It's not even in His nature, right? God is a holy God, and because He is holy, because He always speaks the truth, because He always keeps His promises, and we are His image bearers, we are to be people who do the same. I was thinking this week about the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. We don't have time to look at it today, but Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Go read it later. There's this couple in the early church who sells a piece of property. They lie about how much they sold it for so that they could hold back some of the proceeds for themselves and give the rest to the church. And you know what happened as a result? God killed them. New Testament passage. And I started thinking this past week, you know, like, man, that seems a little extreme, doesn't it? You know, I mean, you, at least they were giving money to the church. They give some, at least, and they lied about, you know, they could have given more, but they didn't, and so God kills them for it. Like, why would he have done this? And here's what I really think was going on. This is the very first church, and God had just given them the mission of going and making disciples. He had also told them, by this the world will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. So if you're going to make disciples, people need to know you're a disciple, and how are they going to know you're a disciple? By the love you have for each other. And the reason I think God kills Ananias and Sapphira is because of this. You cannot lie to one another and love one another. And I think because the mission for this early church was something that was brand new, before this thing ever really got started, God said, I'm not going to let you sabotage this. So he takes their lives for lying. 
lying is a big deal to God because lying, listen, is a cancer to community. Lying wrecks relationships, which God is for. And, and so because this is a big deal to God, it should be a big deal to us. And so what I want to do in the time that we have left this morning is I want to talk about how can we be a community that practices telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth for the good of each other and ultimately for the glory of God. And the first thing we see if you look back in Ephesians 4 verse 15 is that if we are going to be a people who practice telling the truth, we must be a people who refuse to deceive others. In verse 15, if you look again, it says, rather we are to speak the truth. Now we look at that and we should say, okay, rather than what? Well, verse 14 tells us, rather than being cunning, crafty, or deceitful. When we lie to others, we do it ultimately because we're trying to deceive them. We're trying to withhold reality from them. And some of us, listen, we do it for different reasons. Some of us do it because we worship approval. We know that if I tell the truth, if people knew who I really was, they would look down on me. So we lie. Others of us, we don't tell the truth because we know that if we do, it'll pull us out of our comfort zone. We'll have to change, right? Or we'll have to do something we don't really want to do. Uh, others of us, we, we lie, we deceive because we want to try to control and manipulate situations. Or we do it because we want to gain power or we want to somehow advance our own cause. And we see this most clearly in politics, don't we? How many of you watched the GOP debate Thursday night? Anybody else in here? Okay, a few of you. If you would have watched it, basically, let me sum it up for you. It was like two hours of people calling each other liars. That's what it was. And, and I get why they were doing this, because if you watch a commercial right now, a political commercial, what one candidate is notorious for is they will take something someone said 15 years ago and make it seem like they said it 15 minutes ago, right? They lie. They deceive in order to advance their own cause. And we don't just see this in politics. We see it in marketing. How many of you in here, let me see a show of hands, have ever saw a product that you thought, if I can buy this, it's going to make my life complete, and then you get it, and you feel like you've been ripped off. Like anybody in here, it's like, man, okay, yeah, a lot of us in here, and that's because you were ripped off. Um, does anybody remember, do we have the, the, the Airborne? Does anybody remember this uh, product right here? Airborne? Okay, it's a little blurry, but hopefully you can see it. They've now changed the outside of the box, and that's because they got sued for what they originally said. When this stuff first came out, I thought like God was shining down on me because most of you know I'm a germaphobe and this stuff came out and it's like, man, like you, you, you know, you're never going to catch a cold again, you take this stuff, right? And it's, it is teacher certified. So if a teacher said that it's good, you know it's good because teachers aren't going to lie and they're around like germy kids all day long and if it works for them, it's going to be awesome for me. So yes, like give me a lifetime supply of airborne supplements. Problem is, though, right within four or five years, they're sued for $24 million for false advertising. There was no evidence whatsoever that their product would actually keep you from getting sick, right? It was deceitful. They, they were deceiving so that they could advance their cause. They were deceiving because they thought by deceiving you, it would make life better for them. And the first thing we need to see this morning is Paul says, that is not the life God has called us to live. He says, God has called us to be truth tellers. Therefore, don't be deceptive. Do not withhold reality from one another. The second thing we see in this passage is if we're going to practice telling the truth, not only are we to refuse to deceive others, but we are to be a people who make and keep commitments. Okay? Now listen, as Christians, we should be people who make and keep commitments in every area of life. If you say you're going to be somewhere at 9 o'clock, that doesn't mean 9.15. Okay? All right? 
Right? So it means 845. Okay? And so if you say you're going to help serve in a certain place, you should help serve. If you say you're going to help somebody, you should commit to helping them. We should be a people of our word in every area of life. But specifically what Paul is speaking about here is we are to be a people who make and keep commitments within the context of the church. If you look in verse 25, what does he say? He says that you are to speak the truth to your neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Now listen, when we think of the church, we typically just think of it as a place we go to listen to some music and hear some preaching and maybe learn the Bible. The Bible speaks of the church in a much greater sense than that because when the Bible talks about the church, it actually says it's the body of Christ. And so here's what this means. Listen, guys, when you join a local church, what you're saying is, I want to be a member of this body. What that then means is what you do affects me, and what I do affects you, right? Like, you're my business, I'm your business. We are all a part of the same body. And as the pastors of the church, we take this very seriously. That's why we have membership here. That's why we have membership classes, so that before you join the church, you know what you're signing up for. That's why every year we do membership renewals, where we will go to you and say, remember, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. We are called together. We are called to go out and make disciples. We're called to grow, to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, and we're called to give of our time and our talents and our treasures, right? And I hope that whenever you renew your membership, which we just did last week, you're not just like, yeah, 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 I'll do that, right? If you say, yes, I'm a member of this church, what you're saying is I am making a commitment to be the body of Christ. I'm making a commitment to do the best I can to be the man, to be the woman that God has called me to be. And for some of you, this is really scary. And you know why? Because commitment is scary. We live in a culture where you're always hearing this message. Hey, if you want to be happy, keep your options open. Right? If you want to be happy, pursue personal freedom. And the way that you pursue personal freedom is never really tying yourself down to anyone or anything. And because so many people in our culture are believing this, here's what's happening. We're seeing less and less people make commitment specifically in two areas. Less and less people are getting married now, right? Just living together. Less and less people are actually committing to a local church. They just kind of show up and hang out but never really go all in. Forty years ago, guys, like this never would have happened. But it's happening more and more today because we are afraid of commitment. We view commitment as oppressive. But please hear me, guys. The only way that you can actually experience as close to ultimate freedom as you can here on earth is by making commitments. Think about it like this. If you want to buy the house of your dreams, where you have more square, you know, square footage, have more space, more freedom, you have to do what? Make a commitment. You have to say, I'm going to pay for this. Um, let me use sports. I know a lot of you are sports fans. If you watch a running back run freely for 50 yards without being touched for a touchdown... In order for him to be able to run freely like that, he first has to make a major commitment to be able to even get there. Um, our band. How many of you each week are, are blessed by our band? They not do a phenomenal job, right? Yeah, give them a round of applause. I mean, I'm listening to them, and you know, like even today, uh, Darren sitting up here, and he's like, man, we need, we need to turn the electric guitar up, man. That's amazing, right? Like, it's, it's just like... You watch, you know, Zach play guitar or Matt or you watch Libby on keys or Aaron on drums or whatever, or Tim and, you know, people playing and singing. It's like, they're just, it's just like, like with ease, isn't it? And what we forget, I don't know why I'm doing this right here. <laughs> and so what we forget, 
<laughs> is, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. What we forget is this. Them being able to play freely does not come without a major commitment. Like, a long time ago, they decided we're going to learn to play this instrument. And then every single week, while many of us are still sleeping, you know what they're doing? They're up here pulling out equipment, plugging things up, and practicing all these songs. They don't just come together and play this stuff, right? It takes a commitment. I say all that to say this. When we make a commitment, then we experience more freedom. Because what happens when you make a commitment? What you're saying is this. I am not going to let my environment or my feelings control me. But on the flip side, whenever you refuse to make a commitment, you are saying, I'm going to be a slave to my feelings and a slave to what is around me. And it's important that we get this again because Paul says, if you want to practice telling the truth, you must be a person who makes commitments and actually keeps commitments. This is the mark of a Christian life. This is the mark of a Christian community. This is what it means to practice telling the truth. But he goes on and he also says this, if we are going to be a people who practice telling the truth, we not only refuse from deceiving others, we not only make and keep commitments, but also, he says, we must be a people of integrity. If you look in verse 25, Paul says, therefore, we are to put away falsehood. Now, I'm not going to bore you with going into all the original Greek here, but basically what Paul means is when he says that we're to put away falsehood, what he means is that we're to be a people of integrity. If you've ever been around someone who's not a person of integrity, you know they're basically this. They're one way with this group, and they're another way with that group. They're one way in public, they're another way in private. They're what the Bible calls a hypocrite. And it's something, again, all of us are tempted to be. Um, those of you that know me closest know I'm not a huge country music fan. Please don't throw any stones at me. I know I'm in Arkansas. I actually like it more now than I used to. I used to hate country music, especially in my college years. But I remember my freshman year in college, there was a girl that I really liked, and um, she was a huge country music fan. And I remember one night she calls me, and, and I could never get her to go on a date with me. She calls me one night, and she says, uh, hey, Jared, this is so-and-so. And she said, um, hey, Kenny Chesney's coming in town next week. And I was looking for someone to go with me to the concert. And I don't know like, if you even like country music or you like Kenny Chesney, but you probably don't. If you don't, like, no big deal. But if you do, you want to go. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I love Kenny Chesney. It's like, he's awesome. Like, I don't know anything he sings, but he's awesome. You know? And so I hang up the phone with her. I call my buddies who's a big country music fan. And I'm like, dude, please tell me you have Kenny Chesney CDs. And he said, I do. And I was like, okay, I need them ASAP because I need to memorize all of his songs before the concert because this girl thinks I'm a huge Kenny Chesney fan. So true story, this literally happened. I borrowed every Kenny Chesney CD I had. I listened to it nonstop for a week, read through the lyrics, try to learn as much as I can. I go and, and, and this, is, this literally happened. I go and buy me a pair of Wranglers <laughs> and I borrow my, 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 one of my friend's cowboy hats. I go pick this girl up, all right? I go pick this girl up. We go to the Kenny Chesney concert where the whole time I just pretend to know and enjoy every song. So it's like, you know, like, it's like, kind of like you mumble the parts you don't know. It's like, uh, you think it's track to sexy, you know, like, whenever that part's like, uh, you know, it's like, don't know it at all, but I'm doing everything I can to convince this girl, like, I am the biggest Kenny Chesney fan on the face of the earth. Would you please go on a date with me, right? That's a hypocrite. That's what a hypocrite is. And we all laugh about it, and yet some of us are doing this when it comes to living the Christian life. There are some of you in here, you're this way with this group of people, this group of friends, and you're this way with this group. You're one way in public, and you're a totally different way in private. 
Or some of you in here, you come in every single Sunday and you're like, yeah, Jesus, we're number one, right? He's my everything. Yeah, our marriage is awesome, man. I mean, it's incredible. Our kids, yeah, well-behaved. Our financial, we're doing, I mean, I am literally firing on all cylinders. It's amazing how great I'm doing. When in reality, you're not doing great. When in reality, behind closed doors, it's a totally different story. And if that's where you are today, let me just say this. Please hear me. We say all the time here at Fellowship, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to pretend like you are okay when you're really not. I I hope that you hear this. Listen, a person of integrity is not a perfect person. A person of integrity is an authentic person. They're the same no matter where they are. What you see is what you get. Some of you in here, you have multiple selves. That's why you're exhausted, actually. Because you're always trying to kind of keep these two narratives going, or three, or four. Some of you, you have a face for every friend. You have a personality for every place. You're one way in the home. You're another way around your missional community. You're one way here at the 930. You're a totally different way whenever you are at work. What God says to you this morning is I want you to practice telling the truth. I want you to put off falsehood. I want you to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, no matter where you are or who you are around. This is the kind of community that, that we are praying God creates here at Fellowship. A community where we live as imperfect people who are honest about our mess. A community where we live as a people of integrity. A community where we live free from deception. Where we never withhold reality from one another. A community where, imagine this, where we actually make commitments and we keep commitments. This is what it looks like to be the community that God is calling us to be. To speak the truth to one another. But notice in this passage, if you look back in verse 15, there's something else that Paul calls us to here. And we can't miss it. Because in order for us to be the church God has called us to be, to be the men and the women that God has created us to be, He doesn't just call us to speak the truth. But what does He do? He calls us to speak the truth in love. Now, that seems kind of ambiguous. You say, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, in order for you to understand, us to understand what Paul's talking about here, I think this is where we need to go to verse 29. Because what does Paul say in verse 29? He says, let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as is fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, the word for corruption here literally means to rot or decay. And the idea that Paul is trying to communicate is this. When we speak corruption, we speak corruption when what we are saying tears people down rather than building them up. We, we speak corruption... When what we say, rather than benefiting our listener, belittles them. When rather than giving them grace, actually gives them grief. And what Paul is saying in the context of this passage is this. One of the ways that we speak corruption is when we speak the truth, but without love. Some of us in here desperately need to hear this, and I am one of them. Who feel like that God has placed us on this earth to shine truth into the midst of darkness. And I thank God for those who are seeking to do that. But listen, and again, like I am 
totally speaking to myself here. I mean, I was on a debate team for a while in college. Like, I, I love debating. I, I love to just speak directly. I feel like I want people to speak directly to me. And so, like, I, no matter how sharp you think you are doctrinally, politically, or socially, no matter how good you may be at presenting your case, if when you present it, you're just trying to put people in their place, or you're just trying to get applause from other friends who are like you, or if when you present the truth, what you care about more than anything is just being right, you are abusing the truth. You are using the truth for your own status, or maybe for your own comfort, or for your own control, or for your own power. And as a result, you are crushing people. And rather than leading them away or to, or rather than leading them to Jesus, you're actually leading them away from Jesus. And you say, well, well, Jared, I don't know if I should believe you. Okay, well then let me just read Jesus' words to you. In Luke eleven forty six, do we have this on the screen? Can we put it on the screen? Jesus, he's talking to these Pharisees. Pharisees were the super spiritual ones today. The, the Pharisees were literally the people who, they, they get a bad rap, but they really were the people who were trying to take back the culture for God. They were doing the best they could. And here's what Jesus said to them. You experts of the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not even lift one finger to help them. You want to know the difference between a Christian and a legalist? A Christian is someone who finds their value from God. A legalist is someone who finds their value in being right. The Pharisees were people who found their value in being right and therefore rather than freeing people, they were burdening people. What they were doing, and this is the reason Jesus was, was frustrated with them, is they're walking around saying, I'm right and you're wrong. Right? And, and therefore, you need to change. However, what Jesus said, they're doing nothing to actually help them experience change. You're just looking at them saying, you're wrong, you're an idiot, you're a moron, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and yet doing nothing to actually help them. And they really thought they were doing God's work, but what Jesus says, actually, you were doing the opposite. Some of you this morning, listen, you're all love and you're no truth. You're all love and you're no truth. We live in a culture that's very subjective. We're like, ah, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Marry who you want. Spend your money however you want. Do whatever you want. What you need to hear today is that is wrong. Some of you, though, are all truth and you are no love. What you say is right. That's what's so crushing about the law, isn't it? Is the law is right. Truth is truth. And you communicate the truth, but you do not do it in love. And listen to me carefully. If you've fallen asleep, wake back up for this part. Love without truth is not really love. And truth without love is not really truth. I'm going to say that again. Love without truth is not really love. Some of you in here, you think, oh, I... I just never want to say anything that's, that's direct to one single person in here. I never want to call anybody out on their sin. Who am I to judge? And, you know, whatever else. And, and I just love people so much I don't want to hurt them. No, the reason you don't speak truth is not because you love them so much. It's because you love yourself so much. That's why you don't speak the truth. On the flip side, there are some of you that, again, you're, you're all truth and no love. But again, love without truth is not really truth. If we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, if we're going to experience a life God has called us to experience, we must be a people who speak the truth in 
love. The question this morning, though, is how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this with our spouse? With our friends? With our missional community? With our neighbors, right? How are we going to be a people who speak the truth in love? And if you've been here with us very long, you know the answer is not try harder to be better. The answer is, in order for us to really do this with joy, we must look to the cross. And why is it that the cross allows us to speak the truth in love? Well, think about this as we're coming close to an end. When Jesus went to the cross, quiz, all right, ready? When Jesus went to the cross, did he go for the sake of truth or did he go for the sake of love? In other words, did he go for the sake of truth so that, that God's wrath could be satisfied, right? There is a penalty to be paid for sin and it's death. And so, hey, there's the truth of that. Or did he go for love so that we can be forgiven and accepted by God? Okay? Did, did, did Jesus die on the cross for truth or did he die on the cross for love? Yes. The minute that Jesus died on the cross, the truth of God was infinitely satisfied because Jesus died the death we deserve to die. But also, the minute that Jesus died on the cross, the love of God was infinitely satisfied because now we get to live the life that Jesus alone deserves to live. Now we can be fully forgiven, loved, and accepted by God. That's the gospel. And listen, and only whenever the truth of these two come together... Can you then be a person who speaks the truth in love? Only whenever the gospel enters into our heart can we be a people who are finally honest with others because we don't have to fear rejection from them anymore because we're already accepted by the only, the only one who matters, who matters the most, God. So now we can speak the truth. And only whenever this gospel comes into our heart can we not only speak the truth, but can we speak it in love because we're reminded no matter how stupid this person may be, or sinful, or, or foolish, or uneducated, or whatever else, their position before us pales in comparison to our position before God. And if He could extend grace and mercy to us, how can we not now, if we receive that, not do the same for others? God made a promise back in Genesis 3.15. He made a commitment. Adam and Eve had sinned against God and as a result, sin entered into the world and fractured everything. Now, as a result, there's death, there's disease, there's brokenness, there's cancer, there's dysfunction, there's all of these things that have gone wrong. And rather than God leaving us in that sin, in Genesis 3.15, if you remember, you can go back and read it today, He makes a promise to Adam and Eve, and He says, I'm going to send someone who's going to come and make this right. I am making a commitment to rescue you from this sin. Because Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled that promise. Even when hell itself was up against him, Jesus kept his word. And what that means is, listen, if you're here today, listen, if you are a Christian, it is not because you're awesome. It's not because you've impressed God or you've done all sorts of good works that made him say, oh, well, you would be great for my team. If you are a Christian, you know why? You're saved by the integrity of Jesus. You were rescued because of the commitment made by Christ. And when the truth of this settles into your heart, it frees you up to then speak the truth in love to one another for the good of each other and ultimately 
for the glory of God. I'm going to ask that our band actually comes forward, and I'm going to ask that we just stay seated for just one moment. And those that are preparing the elements, you can come forward. And I want us to just take a moment to, to listen to the Spirit. Each week as we say, we do not just want to be hearers of the Word, we want to be doers of the Word. And I felt, honestly, I felt heavy about this message all week long, even this morning as I, I get it because I believe that there are some of us in here today who we just, we've been living a lie for so long that we don't even realize that we're living a lie anymore. And my hope is that when we hear this message today, we're, we're not thinking about, yeah, those people who are bearing false witness, but that we will stop and allow the Spirit to search our hearts. And I just want to encourage you right now just to ask the Holy Spirit, is there any area where I'm believing a lie about God? And therefore, I'm living a lie. I'm not living in reality. My hope this morning is that through the power of the Spirit, that the gospel will go from just being true news in your head to to good news in your heart today. That you will see that He really is God really is who he says he is and has done everything that he says he has done for you through Christ, through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And as a result, we will live in the truth and that truth will set us free. Father, I thank you so much for being a God who keeps promises. I thank you for the commitment that you have made to us while we were in our sin, while we were in our mess, how you came after us, you pursued us, and you have provided a way for us to experience the life that we were created to experience with you. I pray for each person who is here today, if there is one who does not know you in a real and personal way, through the power of your Spirit, that you would make the gospel alive in their heart, and that they would experience the joy and the life and the freedom that only you can provide. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. 